for those serving in as presidents or leaders of different groups and keys. And a number of people ask me, so if, if I'm the Relief Society president and I disagree with what the bishop is doing, then what do I do? Or if I'm the state young woman's president and the state president, I've given him a number of names and the state president isn't using those names or isn't calling people that I have given him, am I not the one presiding? Or am I not the one in charge? So, so I think those are some, some basic answers if we understand, but it's not as much in what it is, but in how we handle it that makes the difference. So as we understand this priesthood is God's total power and authority, it's critical that we understand why. What is the purpose of the priesthood? And we've talked about this before. The purpose of the priesthood is not to be in charge. The purpose of the priesthood is not selfish. The purpose and the reasons for the use of the priesthood is not to put someone in their place or to have favoritism or any demeaning or ungodly thing like unto that. I think we understand that. But we also need to understand that if Satan could get in the minds and hearts of people who have power and authority to make eternal difference in the lives of people, he may cause some confusion and he may cause some contention. Or we may be, in our own world, making that happen. If we remember that the purpose of the priesthood is to work to bring to pass the immortality eternal life of God, which is to save his children, then all of those different things, all the competition, all the quarrels, everything associated with it should be gone. Now clearly that's, that's the natural man is an enemy to God, but there's a reality here. So I, I have this analogy and actually, it was just an analogy that I that I um, that I was I want to say I came up with, but I never want to give it to myself. I believe that the Lord was instructing me as I was walking one day. I was I was on this walk was before I had my own girls who were not here today. They thought they'd go to a swimming party instead of listen to another hour with their mother. Bless their hearts. So I was on this walk up by our house and. I was walking by an elementary school, and school was just about ready to get started. And I was just observing things. So I was going up the hill, and just a little bit over, and as I was walking, I saw a car slowly coming up the hill on the other side, and then I saw three children. I can't remember exactly how it was now, but I remember it. there were two on a bike, two boys on a bike, and one little girl on a scooter. As the car got closer, it started to slow down as the kids clearly were going to cross the crosswalk. And they were at the crosswalk. So they were there at the crosswalk. The two boys were ahead, and the girl was very slowly trying to catch up. It looked like two brothers. But in the process, as this car in front started getting closer, another car behind came up. The boys had already passed this car, and the girl was still very slowly going across the crosswalk. And you see what's going to happen? Then there was a third car, and the third car pulled up as well, behind this car, and it looked like this girl was just going slow, and she was going to make it across the street, but in the process of going across the street, as slowly as she was going, she fell in front of this car, and she was 
very, very slow getting up with little tears and everything else. I was smart enough away that I, in my wobbling, couldn't run to help her, right? As I'm watching this and seeing this girl on the ground going across the crosswalk, the first car, you could tell, was concerned for the girl, the first person in the car. The second car was so bugged with the person in front, and the third car may have been just as equally bugged, if not more bugged. And guess what started happening? The horns started honking. And the second car started honking at the first car. The third car started honking at the first car. They couldn't believe that this man or this woman, whatever, I actually can't remember exactly what it was, I just remember this moment, was not moving. Get off your cell phone, start paying attention, go forward. What, what are you doing, right? The kids have already passed. Move forward. Well, I do remember this. When the little girl got back onto her little, her little scooter and went forward, I saw the, the, the individual in the first car just kindly making sure she was okay and then continued on. But the car, the person in the second car looked sick. Because had the person in the first car listened to what the person in the second car wanted him to do, or her to do, they would have killed a child. And I think, although I didn't talk to the individual, I think they realized the embarrassment of what they were trying to honk their horn at and the person in front. Does that make sense? And then the same thing with the third car. So the analogy is simply this, is we're talking about priesthood power and authority, and especially in terms of the hierarchical or administrative church. Those who hold priesthood keys really do have specific responsibility and stewardship over those people for whom they have been given it. One who understands his priesthood keys and responsibilities then is hopefully striving and doing all he can to be very close to the Lord and receiving personal revelation for the people within his boundaries. I remember my own father serving as a state president growing up and knocking on his door in the morning and they called it the blue room. And the door never opened. And you, you think that they stopped knocking on the door, but of course we're kids and we're snocking anyway. The door never opened. It took me years to realize that the reason why the door never opened was because that was my father's sacred place in the morning. The door didn't open because he was speaking with God. And it really was that simple. I knew as a father that he was taking care of us as a family he and my mother together. But I also knew as a state president that he cared dearly and loved dearly those people in the state and he was paying a very heavy price to receive the revelation necessary in order to help those people in the state, whether it was callings or anything else. And some things I knew were completely confidential. I knew that there were things that we never knew. I knew there were things about people in the war, people in the state that we never knew because my dad was an extremely confidential individual. He took confidence so high that I never questioned if I said something to him anyone would ever find out, which was a huge blessing for me growing up. So why do I say this? Because sometimes we are the second and third car. I've been in a situation as a state young woman's president where I have wondered by my two counselors that I knew I had received revelation for were not called. And I still don't know why. 
But I do know that the two that were called were the ones that the Lord wanted through receiving confirmation later. But is it possible for me to receive revelation that two people should be called and a state president should receive revelation otherwise? It absolutely is possible. Could it be that I needed to learn a lesson? Could it be that I needed to see beyond? Could it be that I needed to be humble? There, there are a variety of reasons why I could have received revelation for two individuals and the state president receives revelation differently. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I, I really hope we understand that that is critical to understanding priesthood keys. Now I want to just talk about the, the flip side of this. Is it possible that there are people that are in crosswalks and there's a car and there is no little girl falling over? And the person really is just looking at his cell phone? I can say that's true because it happens to me all the time. I am the one who is the idiot who sometimes looks on my cell phone while I get a text message while there's a red light and I'm still looking at it when the light turns green and people are honking. And I shouldn't do that. And I get it, right? And in that case, it is my fault. And I'm grateful for the honk. Like, wake up. Are there times when key holders really are grateful for and need a little extra help from other people? Yes. But be very, very careful. Lest we are the ones who think that we should be steadying the ark. Does that make sense? I say that carefully with all the love because I know there's, there's often frustration. And sometimes it's painful frustration. But as members of the church, we need to be careful to counsel with each other as we've been taught so much, especially recently. But to also forgive and also recognize that sometimes, often, we are in the second car. Or the third car. Or the fourth car. Or sometimes we're the little girl falling over in the front. And sometimes we're grateful that the first car didn't go. I've had personal experiences where I've had other people who have said, I'm so grateful that I didn't receive that call because, and they would continue to talk. President Irene has a great, his, his biography is fantastic. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it is so good. If you want a good biography by one of the members of the First Presidency, President Irene's is awesome. But in his autobiography, he talks about going from being a member of the Quorum of the Twelve and to a member of the First Presidency, and he says, everything changes when you're in a different seat. You see things differently when you're in a different responsibility and have a different chair. You just do. And that's something I think we can all remember and think, think through. If we also remember just simply that as we're working together in these assignments, that we're trying to build relationships what I talk about sometimes is more the how than the, than the what. Elder Holland, and referring to um, seventh grade teachers, institute teachers, religious educators, and how we teach, he says sometimes the problem isn't what we teach, but how we teach it. It's the same thing with relationships between the leaders of the church. Sometimes the problem isn't what the problem is, it's how. If we're defensive, if we're, if, if we're very strong-willed, if we're not willing to compromise, if we're not willing to be humble, if we're not willing to do all those things that teaches us, that the Lord teaches us in section 121 of the Doctrine and Covenants, then it's really going to be a struggle. So we go through section 121 and we realize what kind of person the Lord needs us to be regardless. The second thing I'd like to talk about, are we good on that? Bueno? Oh yeah? Okay. The second thing I'd like to talk about is 
priesthood, priesthood authority and priesthood power. I just had a gentleman bring this up, and I wanted to make sure I clarified because if I made it sound like they were the same thing, and that is not at all what I was trying to say. Priesthood authority in the church comes in a variety of ways. For a man, priesthood authority comes in the church, or I should say for a man who holds the priesthood. Now there's a semantic difference here. Elder, Elder um, President Oaks talked about this in his tw April 2022, April 2020 general conference talk. It is completely fine to be talking about one who holds the priesthood, referring to one who has been ordained to a priesthood office. So a deacon has been ordained to a priesthood office and therefore he holds, and they use the term hold, the priesthood. There may be some who may disagree with that terminology. Frankly, it doesn't really matter. That's the terminology the church is using and that's what's important, right? So we understand the definition that is being used. Does a, does a, does a young woman, age 11 and 12, hold the priesthood? No, she has not been ordained to a priesthood office and therefore she does not hold the priesthood and therefore she does not have the authority associated with the priesthood office that she holds. She cannot pass the sacrament. She, she cannot pass, or I should say, though getting older, she can't bless the sacrament. That's specific to the Doctrine and Covenants, right? That is something that she is not able to do because she doesn't hold the priesthood and therefore doesn't have the responsibility and the duty and the authority for which that priesthood, being ordained to that priesthood office, gives her. Does that make sense? I think we know this, but I'm just clarifying in case I perhaps thought something that I, should, I didn't mean to teach. So one way an individual in the church receives priesthood authority is by being ordained to a priesthood office. That's one, and that's the most common way we talk about priesthood authority. The second way we receive priesthood authority is by receiving a calling or an assignment by one who holds priesthood keys or one who has delegated priesthood keys. So a bishop giving a young woman a 13-year-old young woman to um, be the president of her young woman's class. She is now given priesthood authority. She can speak in the name of God. She can teach in the name of God. She can promise. She can invite. She can do all of those things because she has priesthood authority to do so. But she cannot perform a priesthood function or a priesthood ordination as one who has been called and set apart, sorry, as one who has been ordained to that priesthood office. Do you understand the clarification? Okay, I wanted to make sure that that was very clear. Men are the same way. Even if a man has been ordained to a priesthood office, he can't go into the Sunday school class and become the Sunday school teacher without being called by someone who holds priesthood keys. In this case, if a husband and wife were in the same class together and the wife was actually called to be the teacher of the 12-year-olds and the husband was not, she presides and has priesthood authority to perform her calling that he does not have. It would be incorrect for him to assume that he can teach that class without permission from somebody who can give him that authority. Just because he's been ordained to a priesthood office does not mean that he has the priesthood power, does not mean he has the priesthood authority to be teaching a class that is not his assignment. So as far as assignments and callings, you have to be called or given an assignment by one who has priesthood keys or one who has been delegated those priesthood keys or rights to somebody else. Are we good on that? So I want to make that clarification. Those are two different ways of receiving priesthood authority. But priesthood power. Priesthood power is the same. How does one receive priesthood power? In the church, it's very simple. Righteousness. Your priesthood power is de completely dependent upon your worthiness to the Lord. 
So a young man who is passing the sacrament may be, may be authorized to pass the sacrament, but he does not have the power associated with the priesthood office that he holds unless he is righteous. Uh, uh, an a bishop could, could have the responsibility and the rights to perform priesthood functions, but he will not do so powerfully unless he is worthy to do so. There are cases which I hate bringing up the negativity of it, but there are there are of course priesthood leaders who are perfect. Surprise, surprise! We are humans, and we are all learning together. There's a difference between someone who is not perfect and someone who is not worthy. Amen to the priesthood and the power thereof. Right? That power thereof is amen for both women and men. Neither women nor men, if they're if they are using their priesthood authority. Uh, in a way that is not okay with the Lord, or is not worthy, an individual is not worthy, does not have priesthood power to do so. It doesn't mean they have to be perfect, but it means, it means it doesn't mean that they need to be worthy of that calling or that office they hold. Okay, there's the distinction with the church. Why not? Very good. Okay, so I'm going forward here then. We talked then about the brief history of priesthood. We talked about section two, which we're going to come back to. We talked about Joseph Smith receiving this as a young man, and knowing that, although he didn't know, knowing that someday Elijah would come, but not knowing when Elijah would come, but knowing that Joseph Smith knew at some point he would. Now this is going to become extremely significant and important here, because Joseph is going to continue to receive the priesthood. He's going to receive the priesthood and priesthood keys by Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist. But even then, in 1829, he knows that he is not going to, has not yet received the priesthood responsibilities, rights, and keys that were given to Adam and Eve, that were given to Abraham, that were given to Sarah. I shouldn't say keys given to Adam and Eve. I should say the priesthood, the patriarchal order of the priesthood that was given to Adam and Eve. So Joseph knows that. He's very aware of this. So in this ordination, or this time when Joseph receives these priesthood keys, he is still aware that there is more for him yet coming. So, this is the next one I wanted to talk about, and I think that this is one that we're familiar with, but another person asked a question, so I wanted to clarify this as well. This is a quote from President Oaks. He says, through the Aaronic Priesthood, sorry, through the Aaronic Priesthood ordinances of baptism and the sacrament, we are cleansed of our sins and promised that if we keep our covenants, we will always have his spirit to be with us. I believe that promise not only refers to the Holy Ghost, but also for the ministry of angels. For angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. And then he continues, So it is with those that hold the Aaronic priesthood, open the door for all church members who worthily partake of the sacrament to enjoy the companionship of the Spirit of the Lord and the ministering of angels. This is one that is very con has been confused over the years for, I believe, a fantastic motivation but it has been misunderstood because of it. The motivation being, we teach that young men who are ordained and who hold the Aaronic priesthood, or are a deacon, for example, hold the ministering of angels, or have the ministering of angels, I should say. They do. But so do the young women. The Aaronic priesthood makes it possible for all covenant-keeping members of the church to have the ministering of angels. I think we understand this better now today, but this is important. For years, I used to ask my students who had the ministering of angels, and the men would raise their hands, and the women wouldn't. 
And I was confused by why they thought that. And then I went back and looked at talks over the years. And the emphasis is just simply the young man is so important. Can you imagine a young man being ordained as priest of office? And he has the ability to have the ministering of angels. And by passing the sacrament, he is able to perform this function that allows people to be blessed with this wonderful blessing. So it's been taught to the young men over the years, over and over again, that they have this ministering of angels. But to clarify, the ministering of angels doesn't come through ordination. The ministry of angels, the ordination allows for the ministry, the ministry of angels to be given to all worthy covenant-keeping people. Does that, does that make sense? Are you with me? So extremely important that when we talk about this, often we talk about the young men and having the ministry of angels as they go on their missions, or they have the ministry of angels with them as they're going through high school, their early days. Those same promises are there for the young women as well. Young women have the ministry of angels. They have angels, as it says in section 88, on their right hand and on their left hand that go before them. That's a promise for all covenant-keeping members of the church. And our young women and our young men are making covenants as early as eight years old with their baptism. And so those covenants for them are real. Those angels are real. And as we've been taught, taught by Elder Holland and others, often those angels are those who are related to us who have passed on to the other side of the veil. And those are also angels that are on this side of the veil helping. So, just clarifying that point as well. Okay. Um, I wanted to get into counseling a little bit more. Um, because some have asked responsibilities within church and within the home. So we're going to talk about it in the home here in a second, but I'm going to kind of finish off with church structure here as well. So this is Sister Bingham. And that was April 2020. There were at least every, every speaker who spoke in the women's session of this 2020 general conference, if you remember it was COVID and they did it as if all of us were together, but the women were speaking. Um, they all spoke on priesthood, and then they had a, a young man and a young woman speak on priesthood as well. So in this talk, Sister Bingham says this. She's quoting President Nelson at the beginning. Today, we need women who have the courage and vision of our mother Eve to unite with their brethren in bringing souls unto Christ. I think it's critical that all people that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints understand that the brethren speak of Mother Eve as a one who has courage and vision. That is a distinctive teaching for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that you're not going to find throughout the world. I do many interfaith groups, and I'm part of this. Eve is not spoken with this kind of love and appreciation. In fact, one day I was at a, I, this is more personal, sorry to all of you, this may be too crude, but I'm going to share it. One day I was getting a mammogram. And this woman came back. She was this wonderful Hispanic woman. And I speak Spanish because of my mission. And I just love anybody speaking Spanish. And I just love to use my Spanish when I can. And she came into the room. She was just angry. And I just asked her, are you OK? And she goes, if it wasn't for Eve, none of us would be here today. None of us. <laughs> well, she was referring to the mammogram. And of course, in my mind, I thought of none of us would be here in the world. We saw it very differently, but I just kind of laughed and said, yeah, that Mother Eve, and just kind of let her go. I wish that I wasn't in the position I was, and she wasn't in the position she was. I would have had a better discussion with her in that moment to describe my thoughts and insights on Mother Eve, especially as taught by the scriptures. But the world sees women often different than the church does, and it goes back and stems back to something so basic as misunderstanding Eve. 
If we understood Eve and the vision that she had and the courage that she had, according to President Nelson, and we as sisters in the church understood what it means to act like Mother Eve did and make those decisions and move forward, we may be able to understand presiding a little bit better as well. Eve wasn't hanging around waiting for Adam. They did it together. But Eve had the vision and the courage to do so. Too often we think that a man has to make a decision to do something first. That's something that has changed over the years as well. But I want to clarify that the prophets are quoting and talking about Mother Eve as a righteous, wise, courageous, visionary woman. So I'll continue with this quote. Men need to become true partners rather than assume they are solely responsible or act as pretend partners while women carry out much of the work. Women need to be willing to step forward and take their rightful and equal place as partners rather than thinking they need to do it all by themselves or wait to be told what to do. This clearly applies with the family. Right now, I'm in the context of the church. We can work together. If we all understand and are motivated with the pure love of Christ and desire to help other people, we need to learn to work together. Our eternal salvation and those of other people is dependent upon it. And how we work together in words, how we work together in our callings, how we work together on other leadership levels as well. So she continues, seeing women as vital participants is not about creating parity, but about understanding doctrinal truth. Rather than establishing a program to bring, about, bring that about, we can actively work to value women as God does, as essential partners in the work of salvation and exaltation. One of the things that I've been most impressed about in the last few years, especially since I've been speaking on this topic and having written a book on the topic, I have received many letters from bishops and state presidents and mission presidents and others. Most of them are just, thank you so much, I, I want to teach this better, please help me to teach it better, can we talk, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a lot of discussions about that. But every once in a while I get a letter something like this. I was wrong. And I'm so sorry. I really did think that men were better than women. Or I really did think that men had a higher responsibility and role than women did. I had, a, I had a, a gentleman who was a state president who sat at my dinner table just last summer, who was served in many high callings in the church, who came to me and said, I did not understand. And I did not treat women the way I understood that the Lord is treating women. I, in saying this, I hope again, I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form demeaning any man or lifting up any woman where she shouldn't be. We are in this together. The brethren can't be more clear on this topic. There's not competition in God's kingdom. That's Satan's plan. We are in this together. A man is not above a woman, a woman is not above a man. An elder it has no more responsibility for the salvation of souls as a sister does. But the elder may have the responsibility and duty because of his priesthood responsibility that he holds to serve a full-time mission. But does that mean while the elders over there are serving a full-time mission, the sister just sits around and twiddles her toes? No. She's working for the salvation of people as well. She's just not doing it, perhaps, as a full-time missionary. 
But I hope she sure is learning. I hope she's preparing to be a mother. I hope she's preparing to be an eternal heavenly mother. I hope she's caring for the people and nurturing those that she loves and doing all that she can so that she can help with the salvation of the children of God. Her responsibility is, is to bring to pass the immortality eternal life of mankind no different than the elder, just a different responsibility as far as a calling and an ordination. And how grateful we all are, as Elder President Nelson has said recently, for the sisters who decide to serve. What a great opportunity that they have. And for many who are called by the Spirit to do so, it is also their responsibility to follow the Spirit and follow through with the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Again, different from young men because he has a priesthood responsibility to so do if he can. As a close, we've been hearing about from General Conference last year, especially. Okay. So, working together, I'm going to give you one example of this um, that I've, I've used before, but I, it was one that was an eye-opener for me. I, I've noticed that the youth have a great propensity to do this, and they're getting a, even a greater and stronger propensity. When I was doing a youth track, which I've done many of, youth and young adult tracks, we were doing the women's poll. And so those of you who have done the women's poll before, we were, we were in Wyoming, and we were right at the edge of um, the Rocky Ridge, the real place where, the, where, where we had the 13 members of the church, those early pioneers died, and they put them in a circle, the, the wagon wheel. So we were at this Rocky Ridge. It was extremely hot. I believe it was the end of July. I remember looking over and seeing another award, and the, and the youth were just splattered all over the, the grass, just not having a fun time. But they had decided that this was the time for the women's poll. And so they had all the young men on one side, as you know how they do this, they had all the young women on the other side. And the men were talking to the young men about how, you know, how wonderful they are and how strong they are, but also how wonderful and how strong women are. And these young women, and they can do the hard things and, and make it up difficult times. They talked about a little of the history of, of the pioneers in this time and how many women continued this poll while the men had passed or had other assignments. And the women were being told about how strong they could be and how they were daughters of God and how they could do these things in difficult times and etc. So they start the, all of the hand cards at the bottom of this hill, mountain hill, Rocky Ridge is the reason why they call it Rocky Ridge. It was very rocky and very hot. And these girls start running up the hill, just so excited to show how strong they are. The young men are all lined up on one side and the women leaders are all lined up on the other side, watching these young women pull up this, these hand parts. After the first few groups of girls were running, it became clear that the other groups of girls were not quite as fast as those first ones. And they were slowly pulling their hand parts up the hill, and they were tired. And then there was a further group back that was barely making it at all up the rocky ridge. And there were boulders that were too big for them, and their hands were too small, and they didn't have the capacity to be pulling that hand cart. So the older girls, and we were so proud of them, started running back and singing their songs and camp songs and all about the wheels and, you know, you don't have to push and pull a hand cart to be a pioneer and all the, I mean, they were singing everything and everybody was having a great time. And then it became clear that they also were becoming tired. And they couldn't help after a while anymore. But the hand parts had not made it to the top of the hill. So I, not wanting to see our young women struggling, 
run down to try to help these gender women. But in the process of running down, one of the other leaders grabbed me by my apron, <laughs> pulled me back, and just said, we've got to let the young woman do it. We've got to help them to see how strong they are. So I pulled back, and in my mind of minds, as I wasn't presiding, I didn't want to correct in that situation, but I had a lot to say. I just <laughs> watched, right? Because I knew the Lord was going to take care of it. And if he didn't, I'd be happy to. <laughs> anyway, so I watched these young women not make it. And the tears were starting to flow, and exhaustion was setting in, and it, in my opinion, was being a little bit dangerous. And as I was watching, I looked over, and these young men were just getting, like, agitated, to say the least. And then finally you could tell they couldn't take it anymore. The whole group, every young man, not one behind, ran down to the bottom of that hill, put the struggling girls in the headcarts, pulled them up. Those who could help, helped. Those who couldn't, couldn't. The young men and the young women did it together. And they got those handcarts to the top of the hill. They got it. The young men got it. The purpose wasn't to show for them how strong the women were. The purpose was united to complete a goal. The women and the men working together. As women, we kind of missed the point. Sometimes we're waiting for somebody else, we're trying to make sure somebody else is able to get up to the top of the hill, we forget that we're here for, for a reason. Yes, there's one thing where we don't want to pick up somebody else's napkin, like Helen Keller does a great story about Helen Keller, where the father picks up the napkin, and, and the teacher gets mad at the father and says, Helen will never be able to do this by yourself if you keep doing this. But there's also a point when if you can't reach the napkin, somebody has to help you get there. There's that gap. And sometimes we have to help. What is the atonement all about except for us needing the help of someone that does something beyond the capacity of any human to do? That is an example of priesthood. Working together for the salvation, it's, it's a symbol of it, but that's what it is. It's helping everyone get up their rocky ridge all together. And frankly, I'm 100% confident if it was the young men and they were struggling to get up that hill, those young women would have been right there by their sides too. They do it all the time in school. They do it all the time at church. These young men and young women help each other constantly. They understand the importance of this unity, and hopefully they don't lose it before they get too old. And hopefully we can set the example of helping them in this process. Okay, this is a continuation of Sister Bingham. She says this, are we ready? Will we strive to overcome cultural bias and instead embrace divine patterns and practices based on foundational doctrine? President Russell M. Nelson invites us to walk arm in arm in this sacred work. To help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. As we do, we will learn to value each, each individual's contributions and increase the effectiveness with which we fulfill our divine goals. We will feel greater joy than we ever have experienced. One of the things that has always stood out to me with the pioneers is how many men passed away. I remember one time asking my mom, 
why there were so many more men on gravestones than there were women. Even at that sacred, sacred place, Rocky, Rock, Rock Creek Hollow, you see so many more men's names. And I remember my mom simply saying to me, because those men are like your father and brethren, they'll sacrifice anything for those they love. That, that is what it means to preside. I've had a number of people ask me if I could talk about presiding. That's a topic that I think is extremely important. It works both in the family and the church, but it works differently in both. I have a, a number of quotes regarding presiding. I lost my mouse for some reason. That's not showing up, so. Wow. Hold on, let me see if I can find this thing. No, it is not showing up up here. Do you guys see my mouse? It's on the right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you can see it. <laughs> because it's definitely not on my screen. That's, that's great. Um, so, and you know what, bear with me, I'm just going to watch this. This is, this is horrible teaching, and I'm sorry, but I have, wow, oh, I can't believe it's not on my screen. Somehow my mouse is on your screen and not on my screen. Maybe I'll do this instead of giving, instead of giving quotes. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a reminder of some quotes. What's that? Oh, that's showing up there too. Just a second. Presiding then, this is 
continuing with Elder Ballard, is to love and serve and sacrifice. The Apostle Paul taught, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. President Eftertaf Benson stated, Brethren, I say to you with all soberness, Jesus Christ is the model we must follow as we take the spiritual lead in our families. Particularly, is this true in your relationship with your wife? So a lot of people struggle with this because they say, well, in the family proclamation, it says the fathers preside. Just a reminder, that's one of, I don't know, a few thousand words in there. But we really do get stuck on it. There's a, there's a difference in definition between how the world defines preside and even how presiding is used in the church than it is in the family. I'm going to give you just a simple example as we're talking about the women crossing those plains. My mom talking about how they clearly, they're, they're dying because they're putting others first. I remember when my mother was passing away, um, spending a lot of time with her. And she, she, had, she had brain cancer, terminal brain cancer. And I was single at the time, and although I had a house across the street, I basically kind of moved in and just slept on the couch in the front room so that I could be aware of her needs. And I got very accustomed to knowing the medication she needed, at what time she needed it, and just taking care of a lot of those physical things. My dad was very helpful, but I just kind of took on this role as a, as a daughter. When her brain cancer became um, close to taking her life, I remember trying to give my mom some medication and a drink. And she said to me, I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then. She said, Barb, why are you poisoning me? <laughs> At the time I heard something like, Mom, I'm not poisoning you. No, Barb, why are you trying to kill me? Mom, I'm, I'm not trying to kill you. This, this medicine is for your good. And she'd say, no, Barb, it's, it's not. I, I don't want to take it. She, she was having a struggle with a lot of things mentally at the end of her life, as you can imagine with brain cancer. As I would try to give it to her, I remember the first time when I was so frustrated she wouldn't take it, but knowing that it was part of the regimen that was given to her. And then her simply saying to me, after she was just so stubborn, saying, I will only take this medicine if my husband gives it to me. So I went and got my dad. And I told my dad the situation. And he had the little pill in his hand, and he had grape juice in the other hand. And he said, Sharon, the doctors would like you to take this medication so that you aren't in so much pain. And she just said, Al, if that's what you think is right, I'll do it. My dad gently put the medication on her tongue, gave her the little cup with a straw in it, and she swallowed it. What she genuinely thought was poison and refused to take from me, she would willingly do so for my dad. That's presiding. That's what I'm talking about. But if you were to switch those roles, if my dad was the one who was dying, I promise you my mom would have done the same thing and my dad would have reacted in the same way. I watched my mom helped my father go through very serious chemical depression for much of my adult life. 
He served as a state president. He served as a patriarch. And my mom was right by his side 100% the whole time. Never demeaning, never putting him down, never telling him to get out of bed. Fasting and praying and trying to understand through research and all he could do to help him in this process of becoming sanctified. As President, as Elder Maxwell said, as my dad was released as a state president, even Jesus Christ himself understands depression because he has suffered more than any man. They were a team. I don't think my parents looked at each other and said, okay, who's in charge? They were trying to raise a family and they did so very well. When you start worrying about who's in charge, you start worrying about the competition between the two, then we start going into a realm that we don't want to be going into in the family. We support and bless and help each other. And that's what it is. We talk about the temple. I, had, I did an interview with a member of the Quorum of the Twelve just a few months ago on this topic of presiding. This is a topic that the brethren know about. They know that some people struggle, but it's still a word that stays. And it's still a word that guides and leads this church. It's up to us to understand what the Lord means when he says the fathers preside in the home. And I promise you, the Lord is never derogatory and never demeaning to women. He's never putting himself first. He's never making some, a woman feel bad, as President Monson said, for God counts their every tear. So as women, how can we better be yoked with men? And men, how can we better be yoked with women as we try to help each other fulfill our individual roles and goals in this world? That's just some of my thoughts. I have many quotes on presiding, and I'm happy to share those another time. I'm going to share a quote on nurturing, because they often go together in the family proclamation. And then I'm going to go back and talk a little more about family organizational structure and the patriarchal priesthood. This is President Ironing. <coughs> this is November of 2018. He said, part of the Lord's current sharing of knowledge relates to accelerating his pouring out eternal truth on the heads and hearts of his people. He has made clear that the daughters of Heavenly Father will play a primary role in that miraculous acceleration. One evidence of the miracle is his leading his living prophets to put far greater emphasis on gospel instruction in the home and within the family. Okay, so what does this have to do with women? He continues. Sorry, that's a horrible slide. In the proclamation, he gave sisters charge to be the principal gospel educators in the family in these words. Mothers are res primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. This includes the nurture of gospel truth and knowledge. For some reason, again, there has been this misunderstanding that presiding is really high up on the scale and nurturing is somehow really low. Nothing could be further from the truth. Again, they work hand in hand. Women often, when they talk about nurturing, in the past I've done a lot of research on these, when they're talking about nurturing, we're not just talking about, I should say just, we're not only talking about changing diapers, reading books, <coughs> excuse me, hopefully men are doing that too. But the responsibility and role of women as nurturers is one that President Ironing, President excuse me, 
Irene talks about in terms of being the primary gospel instructor in the home. <clears throat> that responsibility is huge today. We have a come follow me. If the women are the primary, res primarily responsible for the nurture of their children, and that includes gospel truth and knowledge. <coughs> Sorry, I have this cough, as you know. Then women need to know gospel truth and knowledge. If women are going to be the primary nurturers, and the children are going to know the scriptures based upon what the mother knows, there's a huge responsibility for mothers to know how to nurture, to study and know the doctrine, and to be able to teach it in such a way that will be a benefit for the children. Sister Beck has this quote where she says, <coughs> the priesthood role of fathers is to preside and pass priesthood ordinances to the next generation. The priesthood role of mothers is to influence. These are essential, complementary, and interdependent responsibilities. To all of you who have cough drops in your bags, thank you. Those of you like me who have probably something in their bag but are not reaching very well. The priesthood duty of sisters is to create life, to nurture it, to prepare it for covenants of the Lord. I would say all of those things, not just one. Motherhood is an eternal part of priesthood. That's President John David so, that last part. So yes, this motherhood and this nurturing and these roles of women and this are extremely important. Sister Bingham again says this. Seeing women, and this comes from the other quote, but I just want to tie this in here. Seeing women as vital participants is not about creating parity, but about understanding doctrinal truth. That's the point. Rather than establishing a program to bring, a, to bring that about, we can actively work to value women as God does. And then this quote from President Ballard. I am particularly impressed by your ability to nurture, this is women's, the women, um, women's Conference, 2015, to care for and encourage, and encourage the healthy growth and development of others as you help shepherd them along the covenant path. This is a gift from God, and is an important part of your divine endowment from a living Heavenly Father. Your efforts to nurture in the family, the church, the school, the community, and in the professional world have been a blessing to many. Notice the different areas he talks about nurturing. He's talking about all areas that women can be involved in. Women can nurture in various places. Um, in the community and in the professional world have been a blessing to many, including those who are deceived, lonely, hurt, sick, and aging. This is a Christ-like attribute, a blessing to a world that desperately is in need of nurturing. So I bring this up for just understanding the family proclamation a little bit in terms of what the brethren are trying to teach us. Now I'm going to jump over. We talked about talking about the family and the home. I'm going to jump to, um, I know I'm just looking at my time. I really don't have a lot of time. I'm going to have to talk about this really hard for tomorrow. I'm going to jump to one quick quote. This is Joseph Smith. This will lead us into our discussion tomorrow about the temple specifically, women in the temple, women in the family. He says, go through and finish the temple, and God will fill it with power, and you will then receive more knowledge concerning this priesthood. This priesthood referring to the patriarchal priesthood or the new and everlasting covenant. 
And there's only one place where the order, where this, where the order of the priesthood, which is patriarchal authority, is made known, and that is in the temple. You enter into the order of the priesthood in the temple. We talked about women holding the priesthood in terms of the hierarchical administrative structure of the church. That is very different than a woman entering into the patriarchal order of the priesthood through her covenants. There are different responsibilities involved. But that is why Joseph Smith, as we talked about before, is starting the Relief Society. He's trying to get them to understand and be able to be prepared to do so. Be able to be prepared to do those things that are important at that time. In Jane C. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. I'm going to do this one. Ah, sorry. That's not what I This is what I want. Talking about women in the home, then. The same principle applies as President Oaks. When a father is absent, a mother is a family leader. She presides in her home and is instrumental in bringing the power and blessings of the priesthood into her family through her endowment and sealing in the temple. How is she presiding? Notice that she's bringing these, and he says this again in 2020, because of her endowment and because of the ordinances that have been performed and because of her temple. While she is not authorized to give the priesthood blessing that can, be, that can be given only by a person holding a certain office in the priesthood, she can perform all of the other functions of family leadership. In doing so, she exercises the power of the priesthood for the benefit of the children over whom she presides in her position of leader in the family. If you look carefully at those words, in this case we're talking about the husband not being there, and she's presiding in that case, but a woman with her husband still leads in the family, together as a unit. They are patriarchal and matriarchal leaders. She still functions in family leadership. She exercises the power of the priesthood for the benefit of the children over whom she presides. Women, because of their temple endowment, the covenants they make, do receive priesthood, power, and authority. This is Elder Bednar, he says, the essence of the Lord's work is changing and turning and purifying hearts through gospel covenants and priesthood ordinances. We do not build or enter holy temples solely to have a memorable individual or family experience. Rather, the covenants received and the ordinances performed in temples are essentially to the sanctifying of our hearts and for the ultimate exaltation of God's sons and daughters. I'll finish with this, with this simple idea on power. Jesus gave his life so that we could have access to godly power. The, no, the more we know about the Savior's ministry and mission, the more we understand his doctrine and what he can do for us, the more we know what he can provide, the more we know that he can provide that power. Sorry. The more we know that he can provide the power that we need for our own lives. And this is me just writing this. Then as we act according to the, upon the knowledge, especially regarding the Savior's atoning sacrifice and his treasure, he continues, we choose to have faith in him and follow him. That faith then motivates to more action and gives us even greater access to his power. I'll end with Sherry Dew on this idea of power. What does it mean to have power? What does it mean to have access to priesthood power? It means that we can receive revelation. And she's referring to women here, but this is the case with men as well. Be blessed and aided by the ministry of angels. Learn to part the veil that separates us from our Heavenly Father. Be strengthened to resist temptation, be protected and be enlightened and made smarter than we are, all without any mortal intermediary. Men and women who are endowed in the house of the Lord have been given the gift of power. 
and they had been given a gift of knowledge to know how to access and use that power. This is just a simple list, although I have a much larger list, of some of the powers that women and men both receive as a result of their temple covenants. The power of enlightenment, of testimony and understanding, the power to thwart the forces of evil, the power which enables us to use our gifts and capabilities with greater intelligence, increased effectiveness, the power to overcome the sins of the world and stand in holy places, greater powers that we might be better qualified to teach, power with which to strengthen our earthly families, the promised, blessed, promised personal revelation that may bless our lives with power, knowledge, light, beauty, and truth from on high, powers of heaven to protect and strengthen children and families. Do we not all want these powers? I remember when President Nelson asked the Sisters of the Church in 2019 to learn how to call upon God's power, priesthood power. And he gave us instructions on how to do that. We'll talk about how tomorrow. But one of the things he told us to do, invited us to do, was to go to the temple. I personally went to the temple and asked the simple question, what power? And what power do I need? In reflection, although I received what I know as personal inspiration and guidance at that moment, the answer is clear. Although for me it was an eye-waking moment, but the answer is clear. It's been written by many of the brethren throughout time. The power, the priesthood power we all need is that whatever power we personally need in order to save those with whom we have stewardship, over whom we have stewardship. So if you have the need to have priesthood power and increased ability to do specific things, that's the priesthood power you need to be asking for. I testify that those who have received their endowments, that those who have made covenants with the Lord in the holy temples of this church, of God's church, that they are endowed with a power beyond any other capacity that any person alive on this earth, whoever has or will be, has. That members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have made and kept sacred covenants have an ability and a power that comes from God given only to those who have received temple, who have made temple covenants, who have received their endowments, and who are entering into the patriarchal order of the priesthood. It is reserved only for the covenant-keeping members of the Church of Jesus Christ today. Again, we are the only church that has a responsibility to bring in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are the only church who has the priesthood power and authority available to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of God's children. There are many great churches and many great things that are taught and many wonderful truths, but we have a very sacred and serious responsibility. I testify that the importance of the church and the importance of the family and the temple go hand in hand. We need both structures. I will also testify, as Elder Ballard did, we talked about yesterday, that the structure that stays in eternity is the structure of the family, the patriarchal priesthood, as was shown to us and used by our heavenly parents in the pre-mortal life. We must strengthen families. That's the plea that I have. I'll talk more about increasing power, gaining power, how to access that power, the covenants associated with it tomorrow, and talk about bringing it all home. The church is true, I promise. This is the Lord's church, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.